Do you need water or anything? You got either. No, I brought a seltzer. Thank Perfect. You. How fancy. When the world knocks you out And the clocks speed past to heaven You save a lost soul every night And it's getting better And our hearts beat so slow Saving up for what's to come now I left the trail for you to find me Okay, well, hello. This is Ryan. I am back with the Betterish podcast. Um, super excited for today's guest. I am here with um, my friend Dan, who also happens to be my sponsor in my 12 step program. So, welcome, Dan. Hi, it's nice to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. I'm super excited. So, Dan's been my sponsor since. Oh, God, I don't even. I was probably like two or three months sober, so maybe like six-ish months, something like that. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds about right. I think we started working together in April, May, something like yeah. that. Yeah, so it's been a while, um, which has been really nice. Dan's helped me a lot through this process. Um, so I'm excited to talk to him more kind of about his story and about like how we've worked together and all of that good stuff. Um, but yeah, so how long have you been sober? So I've been sober since the 4th of February, 2020. Okay. Um, that is my period of continuous sobriety at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I have been in the program before. I've been in the program for about 10 years. Okay. Um, but I have had two relapses. Um, so I've had to dust myself off and start over a couple times. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of the magic of the program is, you know, when you screw up, people are happy to see you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is something I... I always enjoy about it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. What feels different this time than like the others? Or um, does it? It does. Um, each iteration of my sobriety has had kind of a different feel to it. Um, I don't recommend doing it multiple times, <laughs> um, but I feel that like you know, each time I've gotten sober, I've had a different perspective. Um, when I originally got sober, in about oh God, that would have been. 2013, 2012, end of 2012, 20, into 2013. Mm -hmm. It was right around the New Year's area. It was very murky. <laughs> yes. Um, as far as a hard date, I don't know if I could give you one. That's fair. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, what initially brought me into the program was I was just, I was fucking desperate. Mm -hmm. um, I was living in a studio apartment in Humboldt Park, Chicago. Um, before, you know, it got real kitschy and cool, it was what I could afford. Yeah. Um, while being close to the blue line and, uh, my life was just on fire and I didn't know what to do. Um, I had moved down to Chicago a little over a year previously to that. Um, I didn't know anybody in town. Uh, my boyfriend, and I had moved down there, left after a month. Um. And I had gone on an eight-day bender that started at Excalibur. And then, um, I, I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly where it stopped, but mm -hmm. um, I do remember coming to somewhere with my father on I-94 driving me back to Wisconsin. And I had been hallucinating for about two days at that point. Um, so it was, you know, it was not a cute look. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Um, 
I just didn't know what else to do. So I basically called my parents in the middle of this bender and told them, hey, um, I know you guys know that I drink pretty heavy, but I don't think I can stop. By the way, I've been doing meth for five years. Mm -hmm. um, I need help. Um, and they were great. Um, you know, I, I know not everyone has had that experience with their parents, but, you know, like my dad drove down from Wisconsin to come pick me up and, oh, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do about this, blah, 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 mm -hmm. and, you know, gave the whole spiel, I mean. Yeah. It, it's a quick way to feel 10 again. Oh, um, I, I, yeah. Mine was just because my dad brought me to rehab, and then it was, you know, a big part of my sobriety, too, and it's like, it's very nice, but also very weird. There, there is something, something kind of comforting about mm -hmm. being in that almost, like, parent-child relationship again, where yeah. it's like, I broke it, I don't know what to do, please help. <laughs> yep. Um, and um, I am very grateful for that experience. You know, they they got me into a rehab out in Vernon Vernon Hills, um, and um, it was it was overall a really great experience. I I didn't quite get it at first. I showed up to outpatient drunk once or twice, mm -hmm. um, to which my counselor immediately was like, "Hey, what the fuck are you doing?" Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, thinking I was fooling everybody, and I had enough time to cool off on the metro. No one would be oh, wiser. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, I went through that and I, I did the, the rehab route, um, and I, I really, really liked it. I think, I think the main reason that kept me from taking the plunge, because I, I knew for a long time that like, yeah. oh, hey, I don't drink like other people and, oh God, I'm, I'm starting to smoke meth. That's, that's not good. And then, mm -hmm. oh, oh crap. Well, I'm shooting it. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's many stops beyond this. Yeah. Um, so, like, I was well aware I had a problem. I couldn't stop. Like, I, I did all the mental gymnastics mm -hmm. uh, about making excuses to radical acceptance that I'm just a piece of shit alcoholic and that's just my, my lot in life. Mm -hmm. I, I had run the full gambit of that already. And um, I was just tired. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, for that last week before that vendor started, I would walk home from work. Uh, I had somehow managed to remain gainfully employed through all <laughs> my addictions. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was kind of the thing that I was holding on to, like, oh, if I can't keep a job, then it's really a problem. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, that last week before I finally made that call, it was I had to walk home, not take the train, because I didn't trust myself not to throw myself on the tracks. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew something was going to change, and it was going to happen soon, and I didn't know what it was going to look like, and that, thankfully, it was me reaching out for help, um, and I was all in on it. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody does when they come into sobriety, because it's something, you know, we're, we're looking for a, an answer to a problem, you know, in a new way. Yeah. You know, my my fix-all was having a drink. Yep. You know, um... But eventually that stopped working, so I moved to harder stuff, and then the harder stuff stopped working, and I just felt like crap all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was a really interesting experience. You know, I had never gone through a rehab um, environment like that before, and everyone's you know super nice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and they tell you, oh, you don't you don't have to change anything except everything, and I hated hearing that all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, because it wasn't giving me any answers. Like, I wanted to know immediately up front, before I put any of the time or work in, what my life was going to look like after I finished. And, of course, no yeah. one can tell you that. Mm -hmm. 
because the results are going to vary for everybody. Like, what sobriety looks like for you is going to look different than what it looks like for me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I, I went all in. I did all this. I did the service work. I did sober living um, instead of moving back into my own apartment. Um, and, um, you know, things were going really well for my first nine months of sobriety. Um, I did not, you know, in the rooms they tell you, hey, don't start dating in your first year. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I don't know if that's a one-size-fits-all thing, um, but I've seen it gone off the rails when people start dating under a year more often than not. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I got involved with somebody that first year, and then my recovery took a back seat, and next thing I know, I'm getting married. And Oh, so you'd already started recovery when you... Yeah. Okay. So when I met my ex-husband, um, I was nine months sober. Okay. And, um, you know, I met this guy and he's great and, you know, and, you know, I don't question his intentions or anything like that, you know, um, but my recovery was no longer the focus, mm -hmm. you know, it started to be, you know, fucking drape swatches and buying a new couch <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, moving into a new apartment and of course, oh, have our first fight, it's time to get a dog, um, you know, so I did a lot of, um, distraction. Okay. Um, a lot of getting, throwing myself into things that kept me busy, but not necessarily kept me sober. Yeah. Um, and then that mental creep that started, oh, well, you know, God, you've been doing so good. Like, maybe you could handle it like a normal person. Maybe you are normal. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you were never an alcoholic to begin with. It was probably just all that friggin' meth that really caused the problems. Yeah. Um, and then after we got married, um, you know, we went on our honeymoon, we went to Europe and you can't go to France and not try the wine. So, mm -hmm. um, that was my mental gymnastics back into drinking and that relapse lasted almost a year to the exact day. Okay. Um, so I was two and a, about a little over two years sober at that point. Um, and I started drinking right before we went on our honeymoon. Mm -hmm. And things were okay at first, mm -hmm. but it was probably a week into drinking where I'm like, mm, okay, this might be a problem. Mm -hmm. um, by the second week, I knew for sure it was going to be a problem, but goddamn if I wasn't going to ride that train to the oh, very yeah. last drop. Uh, <laughs> so so what, what were those signs for you? Um, so for me, it was a lot of my thought processes. Okay. Um, I noticed the resentments came back right away, mm -hmm. like almost immediately with that first drink. Um, cause a big part of our recovery is sorting through, you know, our resentments, you know, who have we harmed in the past? Why do I dislike this person? Um, you know, and we go through a lot of that in our fourth and fifth, uh, and then we figure out what our role in it was in it, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I thought Carol was a total bitch cause she outed <laughs> me for cheating on my boyfriend, you know, well, Carol's not really the bitch. Yeah. She was being a good friend to my boyfriend who I was <laughs> cheating on sort mm -hmm. of thing. You know, like, yeah. you know, you suss all those mental gymnastics out. Yeah. And, um, and it, it was that, that thought process. That shift happened almost immediately after that first drink again. Mm -hmm. And it didn't calm down. Um, the scheming, the bargaining, 
the little lies that turned into bigger lies happened almost immediately. And I, you know, I would like to under, I would like to look back and say that I understood fully what that meant. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't at the time. And by the time that relapse it had concluded and I decided to get sober again. My husband had left. I had moved out of the apartment. He had taken the dog. Um, and I thought that was it. I thought it was over, you know. Um, you know, I thought we were just going to get divorced. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was sober for three months back in the same sober living house I went to the first time. Um, and then, you know, we got, we got back together. Um, I... Um, I look back and I, I you know, because there's still things I, I, I have questions about mm-hmm. um, from my experience. You know, was the marriage already broken at that point? Were we joking? Were we killing, kidding ourselves as far as, well, kidding or killing ourselves, um, yeah. <laughs> trying to make it work? Uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of it was our own stubbornness. I think um, after some of my blackout nights I had had and some of the things I had said, um, some of which I don't fully know. Yeah, um, I know that feeling. <laughs> um, you know, I think there was a part of it that probably was broken around beyond repair at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and had we both known what we know now, we probably would have walked away from it at that point. Um, but we didn't because we're we're yeah. sorry. Just had a moment up there. No, um, that's okay. No, I just think we were just very optimistic, and we we just thought, you know, love is love. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get through anything. Yeah. Um, it's a big ask for addiction. Um, you know, I, I, I can't pretend to know exactly what it was like for my ex-husband to go through that process with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, you know, I, I, I think he knew what alcoholism looked like in the abstract, but he didn't know what it looked like in practice. Mm-hmm. And I think he thought he could fix a lot of things. Um, he had some of that history in his family of being the fixer in the family. Okay. Um, so it was kind of this perfect storm of, you know, both of our unaddressed mental health issues combined with my alcoholism mm-hmm. and a struggling marriage it was our first marriage for both of us um and i think we were just very optimistic about what we could fix mm-hmm. um and it's got to be interesting for the non-addict dating an addict or in a relationship with an addict because you're not really alone in that relationship with them you know i i think looking back my ex-husband um, he was never just in a relationship with me. He was always in a relationship with me and my addiction. Yeah. Um, and it was this like kind of third person in the marriage that he had never quite fully met. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of had heard about. And then when he did finally meet that third person in a relationship, it was a whole fuck. Yeah. Um, didn't understand what that would look like. And when they found out, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, frankly, I'm surprised they wanted to give it a second try. Yeah. Um, and I was really wary of giving it a try again, but we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that time, I don't think I was getting sober for the right reasons. Um, I was doing it to save the marriage. I was doing it 
out of almost a sense of not wanting to fail mm-hmm. at the life I had built. Um, so I tried to come back into sobriety um, for reasons that weren't for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was never going to work long term. Um, there were a lot of things we kind of swept under the rug. Um, and it became kind of this thing like my sobriety was to be monitored, to be checked in on, mm-hmm. um, which made it really difficult to navigate a recovery space when I kind of have almost a parental figure that's like keeping tabs on yeah. it. Um, totally understandable as to why they want to, mm-hmm. um, given the year of hell they just went through. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of knew going into it, like, oh, fuck, you know, I'm just going to kind of stay sober until he decides he doesn't want to be in this marriage anymore. Mm-hmm. Or until there's an off ramp or until there, you know, there was like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to get sober. And then, yeah. like, I guess things will either fall apart or they'll get better. Something mm-hmm. will happen. I don't know what it will be, but something different happened when I got sober before. So something will change if I get sober again. Yes. And it did. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubled down on a lot of bad decisions. Okay. <laughs> like, um, I, um, you know, did some bargaining with my sobriety. Like I thought, oh, well, you know, I can't drink, but maybe I can smoke weed. So I mm-hmm. fucked around with that a little bit. Um, and that didn't really, I mean, I didn't really care about it one way or the other as far as the weed part goes. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I recommitted a couple times in it until um you know we left chicago you know we moved down to uh kentucky um on the kentucky side of cincinnati and we bought a house we were gonna we were just doubling down on everything we were Mm -hmm. gonna have the fucking white picket fence everything was gonna be perfect Uh damn it (laughs) it was gonna be perfect um and we were down there for about two months things were not going well um we visibly hated all the decisions we had made that had brought us to, to Cincinnati. But I think both of us were a little too proud to mm-hmm. admit that we were miserable. Um, and I remember we were sitting in a, um, oh God, I can't, I can't remember the name of it. It's a little wine bar in downtown Covington. We were there for some appetizers or something. I think I had gotten cut from work early and he wasn't working that day. And he was like, oh, well, let's grab some lunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in there and we're kind of talking about stuff and we're just talking about how fucking miserable we were. And I remember I ordered a glass of wine. Not even thinking anything about it. Mm -hmm. He heard me order it. Saw the bartender pour it. We're sitting there, both realizing what had happened and we totally ignored that it had happened. Because I think we were both just... We're both miserable. Mm-hmm. Let's just fucking get through this day and we'll figure it out tomorrow. And we did that for a couple of weeks and he eventually left. Um, things got bad quick. Um, and he left as a matter of necessity. I don't think he had the strength to go through another relapse together. And I think that was kind of subconsciously what was in my mind. If I can't get out of this by using my words, I'll use my actions. Yeah. Um, so rather than having an adult conversation about how unhappy we both are Mm -hmm. and maybe we should make plans to do something about that, I just blew it up. Yeah. Because I knew that would work. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so he left. I didn't know what to do. I kind of just sat there drinking. Um, I stopped going to work. Um, this was right about two when COVID rumblings were starting to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, shit, I don't want to stay here. I fucking hate this city. Sorry to anybody from Cincinnati. <laughs> um, and I you know, was like, all right, well, I'm not going to stay here because I don't know anybody here. So I you know, gave him a call. He was up in Alaska. And, um, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm drinking. I kind of accidentally did meth again. And uh, he was like, oh, you did meth again. And I was like, okay. As soon as he got off the phone, he called my dad. So I was like, oh, Dan's doing meth again. Okay, we better get somebody down there. Mm-hmm. And so, he, you know, he was really good about that. He just kind of told my parents, and he was like, here, it's your fucking problem now. Yeah. Um, which, you know, in the situation, I probably would have done the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my dad came down again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and he said something kind of quirky when he got it. He's like, oh, God, I hope we don't have to do this another time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, we hung out at that at that house for like a month and a half, you know. And <sighs> it was, uh, ironically, it was probably one of the best bonding experiences I've ever had with my father. Yeah. Um, that, like, month and a half of, like, oh, I don't have to go to work because, yeah, screw it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're down here. You just retired, and um, I'm going to rent this house out and, you know, help me get it ready to rent out and stuff like that. And rented it out and then uh, moved back up to Milwaukee. And um, by that time, COVID was full force. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had been in the service industry for 12 years. I didn't know what else I was going to do if no restaurants or hotels were open. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, I guess I'll move into my parents' basement and, uh, we'll we'll start my life over again. Um, when I moved back, I knew like, okay, what was this? I'm back in Milwaukee, a place I swore I'd never move back to. Um, and it's not like it had ever done me dirty or anything up to that point. I was just, you know, like. I wasn't supposed to come home. I thought I was going to be yeah. one of those gays that leaves their hometown and never comes back and mm-hmm. they're just fucking fabulous and, you yep. know. Delusion is also a side effect of alcoholism, so, you know, I feel there's a lot of, a lot of us <laughs> that shared that sort of uh, larger, grand life aspirations. Um, so moving back was kind of a punch in the gut. I'm, you know, coming back into sobriety now again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, what, what do I want? Like, what, how am I going to not do this again? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm living at home. I, you know, I'm got a job at a telecommunications call center to be unnamed. Um, and I knew within the first two hours of getting that job, I'd be quitting as soon as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did once I found something better. Um, but, you know, I was like, what, how am I going to not do this again? You know, like, I didn't have these answers. So I was like, okay, I've tried doing this how I thought it was going to work or how I thought I should be doing it or, you know, I, 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 I what part of this is missing? So, you know, I go to a meeting at uh, the Milwaukee group that night and I'm, 
I don't know anybody there. I'd just been going to meetings for like maybe three weeks here mm-hmm. in town. And I'm going all over the place because I don't know. Yeah. You know, I hadn't been here in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Certainly wasn't an AA when I was in Milwaukee previously. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going everywhere. And, you know, I go to the MG in River West and, you know, I meet this lovely woman, this short, brown, Hispanic woman who. <laughs> Introduced herself and um, then told me within the first minute of talking, Jesus Christ, you are spiritually bankrupt and you're never going to be happy until you figure that out. <laughs> um, I was taken aback. Who the fuck is this woman? Mm-hmm. How dare she? And I'm driving home and I'm stewing the whole fucking time. Couldn't get it out of my head. I wake up the next day and I'm still pissed off about it. And who fucking calls me? This fucking woman, mm-hmm. who I had exchanged numbers with, who told me I was spiritually bankrupt. Totally spiritually and morally bankrupt. And then she kept calling. And then she ended up becoming my sponsor. And I worked with her for... Um, I worked through the 12 steps with her again. You know, I'd been through them before in previous iterations of my mm-hmm. sobriety. But it was something about that spiritual angle... Um, that she had come in hot with mm-hmm. that really kind of grabbed me because, you know, I, I, you know, you know, we read through the big book and said, Oh, you find your higher power and blah, blah, blah. But like, I never really kind of understood what that meant. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was raised Catholic, but like never got confirmed and yeah. never understood like, Oh, well, if God made me in his image and he made me gay. Why does God not like, you know, like, so I had yes. my own fucking, you know, yeah. baggage from that. And, you know, my parents were never, you know, they were never hardliners or anything. So I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't have any deep-seated, you know, religious damage or anything when I came mm-hmm. to the program. But it was just something I never gave really a thought about. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I said all the words, but I didn't really understand what it meant when we were reading through it in the big book. Um, and when she kind of came in hot with that line about me being spiritually bankrupt, you know, like I was like, Oh, I haven't heard that before. No one's told me that before. Mm -hmm. So I asked her to be my sponsor and we worked together. Um, and it was a different experience. Like that felt really different for, for me. Um, it was less about, you know, what I'm supposed to say and like actually building a relationship with a higher power of my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of had to do a lot of soul searching of like, okay, like I get like the God I was raised with was, you know, some friggin' white guy with a beard. Yeah. You know, a la Sistine Chapel type bullshit. And I just, it never resonated with me because I just didn't understand like, oh, like, He's either the world's greatest micromanager and he's just in everybody's business or he's completely indifferent. Mm-hmm. Um, and her her pushing me to start cultivating that relationship, to start actually, you know, reaching out to my higher power when I don't just need help. Yeah. Um, help me reset that relationship um, and actually kind of understand, which I don't fully understand. You know, my concept of a higher power. Um, and I, I worked with her, and um, we went through the 12 steps, and she um, kind of brought me to where I am uh, today as far as how my program looks. Um, we did kind of part ways. You know, I, I view 
So some people, they, they get a sponsor, and that's their sponsor for the rest of their life until they die. Yeah. You know, some people will have the same sponsor for 30 years, and, you know, their sponsor's like 92 years old, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, still meeting, you know, once a month or whatever. And, yeah. Um, I've had a few different sponsors in my life. You know, my initial sponsor I had uh, was a lovely gentleman named Mike. He was the first person to tell me that, like, yeah, if you think you're a piece of shit, you're going to act like a piece of shit. So stop thinking like you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're not fucking special. Not like if you want to drink, I don't care. I'll go buy you a fucking bottle. Your sobriety has no impact on my sobriety. Mm-hmm. And that was great. That's what I needed to hear at that time. Um, the sponsor I had the second time, Brendan, um, you know, when I was not really doing it for the right reasons. You know, he's somebody I still check in with today. You know, we still mm-hmm. talk at least every couple months, you know, even though we're not actively working together. We still have that relationship. Yeah. You know, and I still wonder, you know, he's, he was my sponsor in Chicago and he owned an Irish bar and um, very interesting guy as far as how he was able to, you know, build a livelihood over, you know, the alcohol and beverage industry while being sober through all of it. You mm-hmm. know, like that was amazing to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and so much so that, you know, he has like an off menu, you know, mocktail list for people in the program that he knows that come in mm-hmm. and he's got special desserts for them that he doesn't have on a regular menu. Cause it's, you know, yeah, it's something, you know, he provides that space, space, safe space, you know, in his establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he was a very kind person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that resonated with me at the time. But with Vanessa, she was definitely the sponsor I needed when I came back to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Because I had kind of, I don't want to say given up, um, but I was just, it hadn't worked. Mm-hmm. I'd done it twice and it hadn't worked. You know? But it wasn't that it hadn't worked, it was that I was looking for the answers in the wrong place. I was looking for a person to tell me what to do that's going to work for me 100%. I was looking for an article I could read that would suddenly make it click for me. Yeah. And the answer she gave was much more impactful, but also much more frustrating. There are no clear fucking answers. Mm -hmm. No one's going to be able to tell me what's going to work best for me. And no one's going to be able to tell me what my fucking relationship with my higher power is going to be. <laughs> or what my higher power even is. Mm-hmm. You know? So she was laying out a lot of questions that I didn't have answers to. Um, but I knew they were things that needed to be answered. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lady has kicked my ass more than any schoolyard bully. As far as, like, getting to the meat of the actual problem. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is disconnecting me from my higher power and the other people that are important in my life? I mean, yeah, alcoholism is the symptom of that. But, like, what is the actual part of my life, like, part of myself that I'm missing Mm -hmm. that prevents me from connecting with others? Because that's, when I look back, was the purpose alcohol served in my life. You know, growing up, I was a very awkward unpopular dorky kid that really struggled making friends mm-hmm. and then I was gay on top of it which I knew I I didn't know what that meant at the time but I knew it wasn't good yes <laughs> like <laughs> um and you know it's there was a hole inside of me 
that I had tried to fill the fill with alcohol and it, it worked initially. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why when I drank I felt good in my teenage years. You know, I I wasn't worried about what other people thought of me. Alcohol was the solution to all my problems. Yeah. Um never mind all the problems it was creating for me, but it was the solution to all the problems I wanted solved. Yes. Which was basically being cool and fitting in. Mm-hmm. Um but then after a certain age, like, it's not cool to be drunk on a Tuesday. And people are like, hey, you know what's cool? Responsibility. Mm-hmm. Not getting fired. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> showing up places when you say you're going to be there. Um, and she was the first person that kind of framed it where I understood that, like, oh, there's actually a piece missing. Yeah. Um, I think... There are a lot of non-alcoholics that kind of go through this same process, and sometimes they fill it up with achievements at work, or they mm-hmm. fill it up with, you know, a series of lovers or something like that. You know, um, I think that this source of incompleteness exists in every person, mm-hmm. but alcoholics handle it differently than non-alcoholics. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's always like the big oh, nature versus nurture, like. Are people that are alcoholics born that way, or do they learn how to be alcoholics? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know if it really matters mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, all I know is that certain people slip into alcoholism easier than others do. Yeah. I'm one of those people where, like, when I have a drink one day, two drinks sounds better than ever. Mm-hmm. Three, even better the day after. And, like, it never ramps off. Yeah. Um, but, um, sorry. Coming back to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't understand, you know, what this hole is, what would fill that hole, and really it was, I don't know. See, this is still kind of a tricky answer, for, like, question for me to answer, because, like, I feel like it's been solved, but, like, to articulate the process of that. Because mm-hmm. where, did, where did you start? When you, so she, you know, you, she asked you that, or she told you you were spiritually bankrupt, you wanted to fix that, you start, you have all these questions now, like, what was, like, your first step? Well, I mean, we started back at step one, mm-hmm. you know, um, but a lot of it was, like, she gave me a lot of pushback on, you know, okay, so you had this resentment, you know, tell me more about the resentment, you know, when we were going through my fourth step, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm, you know, very much like, I... I miss the forest for the fucking tree. You know, like, I'm one of those people where, like, I'll get hung up on the one thing and then miss everything else on fire around it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was kind of the big thing. She really challenged me on some of my resentments, you know, about, like, oh, you know, like, I remember one thing that I still kind of give her shit about. You know, like, I had this running scam where every summer I would go and I would buy out a bunch of window units from, like, Walmart, Mm -hmm. hit the 89-day mark and return them all because you got 90 days. Returns, no question to ask. Mm-hmm. And, you know, AC units are expensive. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, in my loophole, and I was very proud of this loophole I had found, and I shared it with her. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, that doesn't seem very spiritually fit to me. <laughs> and it was just the way she said it. Mm-hmm. It was not even, like, from a place of judgment of just, like, oh, oh, you're still doing that trash? Mm-hmm. Like, and I knew, like, oh, okay, this is what she means when she says I'm spiritually bankrupt. Like, yeah, and I can I can rationalize that away. 
fuck Walmart. They're a terrible company. They treat their employees like crap. They, you know, we're subsidizing their entire workforce by having everybody be on fucking Medicaid that yeah. works for them. You know, so I can go off and I can justify it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm stealing a resource with no intention of actually keeping it. Yeah. Just so I can use it for three months and return it. Mm-hmm. Is that akin to murder? No. I, I'm sure someone will make that argument. I wouldn't buy it, mm-hmm. but um, it's just a shady thing to do. Yeah. And it was like those little nuanced shady bullshit things I was doing where I was like, oh yeah, no, I am spiritually bankrupt mm-hmm. because, you know, I, you know, you fucking average church go or doesn't do that sort of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. But for me, I'm thinking like, oh, this is just what I got to do. Yeah. This is just how you would get an air conditioner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that, that. That um, rapscallion mentality mm-hmm. of like, oh, well, I'll just get mine. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those things where, like, I hadn't even thought that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, why would that be a, a spiritually maladaptive behavior? Um, so it was, that was kind of the first thing where, like, she pointed out, and I had a solid example. Okay, this is me being spiritually bankrupt. Yeah. Um, and it, I guess I just didn't realize how often I did stuff like that day-to-day sober. Mm-hmm. You know, like just, oh, well, you know, screw it. Just keep the receipt. Just return it. Or, oh, well, oh, they left it behind. Oh, don't don't bother calling them. Whatever. We could use one of those anyway mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it's just the, those little things. It's the what I do when no one's looking. Yes. Because if I'll do it on fucking air conditioners, well... I'm traveling to Orlando for a work conference. I could have a drink tonight and no one would ever know. Mm-hmm. And it was her pointing out that these little decisions I make in my everyday life is what is either reinforcing or tearing down the tools I have available when I am struggling with that next drink. Because it's never the drink I'm having that's going to get me. It's that fucking next one. Yeah. All the drinks I've already had in my life they don't affect me now. Mm-hmm. It's that next drink, if I pick up, that fucks me. Yeah. And I need to be spiritually fit enough to where if I'm in a jam, if nobody's picking up the phone, mm-hmm. if there's no play, if I can't physically remove myself from the situation, I need to have the spiritual fortitude to tell on myself in the moment. Yes. To grab the person next to me that doesn't fucking know me to mm-hmm. be like, I'm an alcoholic and I'm really struggling right now. Because that's what's going to keep me sober. Yeah. That that willingness to tell on myself. Because, like, I was a lot of things growing up. A fucking narc wasn't one of them. Especially on myself. I learned that real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, working with her was a real joy. Um, I, uh, I have not been actively working with a sponsor for about six months maybe eight okay now um you know i still talk to her and we you know we still go to the movies and we still get coffee and we still go and get empanadas once in a while mm-hmm. um she keeps inviting herself on dates with my boyfriend which i love mm-hmm. um i have been thinking of asking her to be my sponsor again but um lordy i don't know if she'd have me <laughs> um you know been there done that sort of thing yeah um but I, I do find value in reworking the steps, um, even if you've been through them before. You know, 
Uh, I know you, you, you just, you finished them uh, yeah. a couple months ago because you were my gold star sponsee who just <laughs> couldn't get enough of recovery and step work. And I really enjoyed that process of working through that with you. Um, I mean, that's super refreshing for me. Yeah. Um, and that, that gives me energy in the program um, mm-hmm. and to work with other people um, when I see somebody who's like, oh my God. I don't know what to do. I'll do anything you say. Please help. Like, that's, um, that is such a vulnerable and brave space to come from. Um, yeah. And watching you just dive headfirst into it has been amazing from my perspective. Thank you. Um, and as my former sponsee Vanessa, or sponsor Vanessa would say, don't deprive somebody else of that experience. Get a fucking sponsor again, mm-hmm. Dan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I believe that there are, are people that you're going to work with throughout your life that are going to give you a different outlook. And you don't need to relapse to get that experience. Yeah. Um, I generally recommend, um, you know, if you've worked through the steps with a sponsor, um, work them with someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, get a different perspective. And that's something where, like, I feel, not to say, like, all these people that have 40 years sober and they've been with their same sponsor, you know, they should go out and relapse so they can work with somebody new. Absolutely yeah. not. Mm-hmm. I am not saying that. Um, but what I am saying is that looking at things from a fresh perspective, yeah. um, even if you're doing the same steps, mm-hmm. um, you'll always get something new out of it. I know I did every time I worked with somebody different. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, finding those, those differences when you work through it another time could be the difference between staying sober and a future relapse. Yeah. Um, you know, I learned something different every time I worked the steps. Mm-hmm. You and I were talking about this recently. We're like, I feel at a point now where I'm like, you know, I've done all of the big changes and like, now it's like, oh, I'm just sober now. It's kind of boring. It's kind of, you know, like you start to get stagnant you start to just like get used to it and then take it for granted. And so trying to avoid that and trying to, cause I catch myself all the time, like, you know, just like, like, it's not like a craving or anything, but just those like fleeting thoughts of like, okay, I've got this now. I'm fine. You know, like I've done, I've done the work. I've got a better job now. My marriage is better. My friends all trust me again. You know, like it's fine. It's not, you know, and so just keeping that in check, like all the time. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. It really is. Especially kind of, you know, the complacency. Yeah. Um, the, well, everything's not on fire anymore, so I guess it must be fixed. Like, well, there, there's, there's quite a bit in between actively being on fire and everything being repaired. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of in between on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of nuanced space to work on it. Um, sobriety can be boring. Yeah. You know, like, it's something they don't say outright in meetings, but like, shit gets fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean... Blacking out and waking up in a different state is a great story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually it gets boring, too. The chaos gets boring. Yeah. The fucking having to scrape together bail money gets boring. Mm-hmm. Like, having to move out because your roommates are kicking you out again gets boring. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you, it can be chaotic and boring, or it can be peaceful and boring. Yeah. I've experienced both. Mm-hmm. One is definitely better than the other. <laughs> yes. Um, but that's really kind of, I feel like, 
it's interesting because like having been through the program, you know, it was my third, third go through, mm-hmm. um, having, you know, over two and a half years now at this point, it's like the nuance, like the nuance topics, the nuance kind of like, Hey, I'm sober. Things are going great. Like I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing, but like, ah, there's still something missing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in previous iterations of my sobriety, that's kind of what caused me to stumble. Yeah. Or to disengage from my recovery. But now I view it like, you know, I've kind of been going through that period where I'm like, oh, you know, everything's great. Mm-hmm. Almost too great. But now I'm like, okay, I know my options here. You know, I, I can always blow it up. Mm-hmm. That's always an option on yes, the table. A very easy one. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> the easiest and quickest of all options. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely the least satisfying. Having you know personally done it, yes, um, it is the least satisfying of the options because at the end of the day, after I've blown everything up, you know, I'm right back to where I started. Mm-hmm. It's fucking Groundhog Day all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know, overcoming the kind of ambiguous space of sobriety of like, okay, everything's great. My life has been built back up. What do I do now? Well, you go live your life. Mm -hmm. Cool. What does that mean? Well, I have no fucking idea. That's for you to figure out. Okay. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, That's, that's (laughs) the part where like, if somebody could just tell me how to do it, it would Mm -hmm. make it so much easier, but that's, there's no reward in that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I never thought, I would be dating somebody again Mm -hmm. after my divorce. I thought, oh, I'll just be single, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I realized this week, oh, I've been seeing somebody for six months. Oh, crap. I even introduced them to not only my parents, Mm -hmm. but my cousins yesterday. I didn't think that would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had some mild gay panic about it. Of course. Um, Some mild sobriety panic, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, What's the difference between the two? Um, well, gay pan- panic is much more glamorous, mm-hmm. just right off the bat. Um, but sobriety panic in that, like, okay, this is a totally normal interaction. Why am I nervous? Mm-hmm. Why does this not feel right? Why is this? Why am I worked out? Why am I pitting out? Yeah. I know all my cousins. I know my boyfriend. I know they'll all get along. What is the issue? Mm-hmm. But it's this weird, like, fear of being found out or fear of being discovered or fear of things going off the rail in a completely unexpected way that still pops up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Even though I know, like, okay, I'm not going to show up drunk and make an ass of myself because I don't drink anymore. Yeah. Like, my boyfriend is a very sane, though not sober, very normal person mm-hmm. who does not have any substance abuse problems. Mm-hmm. Like, what is there to be nervous about? But it's these day-to-day, like, the desperation of day-to-day living. Yeah. That I feel is where alcoholics get kind of, or I certainly get lost in the weeds. Because, mm-hmm. like, all those interactions, all those life lessons I should have been learning growing up, you know, social interactions around dating, around finding your first job, around professional interactions, like, all these things these milestones growing up during my formative years were through the lens of being drunk. 
mm-hmm. or being on drugs. So the social cues, the, the subtle cues people are giving off on what they want me to do next or what is expected of me, are they go right over my head a lot of times because I'm not sensitive enough to them to pick up on them every time they're being expressed. Mm-hmm. But I know that today. Um, I did not know that through my other iterations of sobriety. So I am aware that I lack that finely tuned like signaling response from normies. Um, armed with that knowledge now, I'm aware of it. I, I'm much more hypervigilant about it. So I pick up on those cues that I used to miss. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my humility, especially in a pro- professional environment, I used to be the kind of worker where like if, so- if I fucked something up, mm-hmm. I'd try and cover it up. I'd try and bury it. Um, now when I'm at work, if I don't know the answer, I say, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, or if I screw something up at work and that causes extra work for another person, I don't wait for them to discover it. I go to them. Hey, I messed this up. Can you help me fix it? Mm-hmm. And the response professionally has been night and day. Um, that is not something I thought people would respect or people would like think wow Dan something I really appreciate about you is you don't bury your mistakes you point them out and then ask for with help fixing them yeah like wow I didn't know that was something that people would appreciate well because it's still broken and needs to be fixed only now they don't have to search for it yeah um so it was a lot of these kind of like life lessons Mm -hmm. um that I think I missed the initial lesson plan on yeah um and you know in my mid-30s i'm still learning them Mm -hmm. um but i think my um my embarrassment around like not knowing how to act in a certain situation is pretty low these days i um you know i'm able to laugh about it um especially with my friends that are alcoholics Mm -hmm. um you know that is something in sobriety um just now that I brought that up, um, yes, get a sponsor. Yes, work the steps. Yes, you know, find your higher power, connect with them. But good God, find a fucking friend group. Mm-hmm. Find a fucking friend group of sober friends. Um, that's not to say you can't have your friends from your your previous life or anything like that. You know, I have some friends from my non-sober life. Mm-hmm. But that list of friends that I have from that period of my life is whittled down to a handful. Yeah. Um, people that turns out were my actual friends and not just bar buddies Mm -hmm. Um, but finding a group of sober friends that you can just exist with you know if it's just a couple of you hanging out at each other's house once a week that social network of friends is going to save your sanity more than I can ever express at least for me yeah it did for me Um, some people need that I think a lot of people need that more than they really think. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding that group where you can belong in is going to ramp up your recovery very quickly. Because um, I think at the end of the day, that was kind of my original reason for drinking. I just wanted to fucking belong. Mm-hmm. I just wanted a place where I could be myself you know, a quote-unquote safe space. Yeah. Um, 
And I didn't find that growing up. I didn't find that in my early adulthood. I didn't even find that in my fucking marriage. Mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't able to be authentically myself in a way where I was giving everybody not only the good, but the bad. Mm -hmm. um, I always felt I needed to minimize all the negative attributes about myself or hide the things about myself that were less than desirable and really play up my, my selling points. If I'm doing that with every person in my life, no person's ever going to get to know me. Yeah. Um, and that, moving back to Milwaukee after meeting my, my sponsor I was working with when I moved back and um, finding that friend group, was kind of the perfect storm of like, okay, I am able to handle sobriety today. I don't know about tomorrow. Yesterday was okay. But today I can handle sobriety in a way that's going to make sense for me. That's going to push me to grow, but not be overwhelming. Um, and finding that mix of support um, and room to explore um, was what finally got me to a place where I feel stable, mm -hmm. I feel safe. I don't always feel sane, but I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. It does. <laughs> um, and it's going to look different for everybody. You know, that's just my experience, mm -hmm. you know. And that's not to say it's been a linear experience for me. You know, there have been times where, you know, I, you know, I'm unsure. You know, like, you know, and I know a lot of people run into that space, you know, like, ah, this is good, but like, my God, the whole rest of my life, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a mind fuck when you think of it that way. Yeah. But you know, I didn't wake up with a hangover every day being like, oh, I'm going to drink for the rest of my life. I was just like, oh fuck, this hangover is really bad. You know what'll make it go away? Another beer. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm probably forgetting a glass. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I just shake you with that bottle. Um, That's fair. But um, you know, so I mean, like, yeah, I didn't think of it that way when I was drinking. Like, oh, I I gotta drink every day for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So why am I gonna think about it that way in sobriety? Oh God, I'm gonna be sober every day for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, when I break it down to like, oh yeah, no, I'm gonna be sober today. Yeah. You know. Okay, yeah, I can do that. What about tomorrow? Well, fuck it, we'll worry about it when I wake up. Mm -hmm. I may die in my sleep, then I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I, I don't have those days anymore where I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. You know, now I'm just kind of like, oh, God, yeah. A mojito does sound nice, but, you know, handcuffs, not so much. Because that's what's going to fucking happen. Yeah. I'm either going to end up getting screamed at by somebody, I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to get thrown out of some place, or I'm going to be evicted. Those, those were my, mm -hmm. my go-tos for my shit falling apart. Yeah. But, um, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit now. No, I like it. It gives us a good full, like, full encompass of where you are now. Because um, I get, like, I, I feel like that's where I'm at right now, where it's, it's hitting that point of, like, oh shit, this is forever. Like, that sucks. Or not sucks, but that's, like, a lot, you know, and then, and finding myself in situations where it's like, I don't like, cr 
crave a drink or need a drink, but like, oh, like that would be cool. Everyone else is doing it. Like, you know, like planning my wedding right now and being like, oh yeah, that's something I'm going to do sober, which ultimately it's a good thing. But like, I have to, part of it, I think is like the, oh, because I know I have to do it that way. makes me want to do it not that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the nature of a lot of alcoholics is they're just obstinate by nature. Yeah. Um, you tell me to go right. Cool. I'm going to move left. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, looking back, I was always like that too. Yeah. You know, um, one of the fucking stories my parents always tell, you know, about like me being cute and a child is like them telling me not to touch the goddamn Christmas lights because they're freaking hot and I'm going <laughs> to burn myself. So my smart ass four-year-old goes and gets an oven mitt because fuck you, you're not going to tell me yeah. not to touch that light bulb. <laughs> I'm going to go get an oven mitt and then it'll be fine. <laughs> Little did they know what that meant further on the horizon. Not saying that's, you know. If your kids touch oven mitts, they're going to do meth. Yes. You heard it here. Yeah. We solved all of it. Um, so what, just because you're my sponsor, and, like, obviously we know I, you know, am the perfect sponsee, and I'm doing all of this the correct way, um, but what, what changed, not just when you and I started together, but when you started, like, actively being a sponsor, like, how did that change your program? Well, it made me... First of all, it made me realize that, like, what I'm doing is not what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. And that's a double-edged thing, the sword, you know, for good and for worse. Um, you know, uh, when I started working with other alcoholics as their sponsor, you know, because the two other iterations of my sobriety, I never sponsored anybody. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, okay, cool, I got the cash, I got the prizes, I got the sobriety, mm -hmm. I'm out, thank you, everybody. <laughs> um, and I didn't give back. And I don't think it's, like, a surprise I didn't stay sober then. Because, mm -hmm. like, oh, I was just going to take what was so freely given to me and then not turn around and give it away. Yeah. Like, that's the program. you got to give it away to keep it. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't kind of understand that until I actually started working with other people. Um, and I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, no. This has a whole different meaning for me now. Um walking somebody else through the steps, like hearing their thought process, mm -hmm. what they're thinking about it, what does sobriety mean to them? What does their higher power mean to them? You know, they're all going to be different answers than what I would come up with on my own or mm -hmm. what one of my sponsors is telling me. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, was kind of the biggest gift of working with other people in AA um, is that that alternative perspective mm -hmm. especially like when you're talking with somebody who's like two weeks sober mm -hmm. and they're just so fucking worried about everything that can or can't happen or may or may not happen and their life is burning down around them and there's almost this i mean there's empathy for sure yeah because i remember that 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 panic mm -hmm. of of the unknown of what my life is going to be like if it's going to be different mm-hmm um, but there's also some comfort in watching someone else go through that because I've gone through it and I came out okay. Mm -hmm. So that's something I can talk to myself like, look, I don't know how many dicks you were sucking behind a La Quinta for meth, mm -hmm. but if the answer is more than zero and you're talking to me now, and you have an interest in changing your life, mm -hmm. I have no doubt that if that's something you want to do, you can do it. Yeah. 
if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and I've met people that in the program that you know came from a much lower bottom or a much higher bottom than mine was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm grateful that mine was you know, you know, lower on yeah. the spectrum. But you know, I've met plenty of people that have had much worse bottoms than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked with people that have had worse bottoms than I've had, or have had, you know relatively soft landings um but it's less about a dick measuring contest about whose bottom was worse and more about like what did that feel like for you yeah you know what did it feel like to ask for help Mm -hmm. you know what did it feel like to think about waking up and not having a drink the next day Mm -hmm. what does it look like what would your life look like if you were able to be present for the people that you say are important to you? Mm-hmm. How would that feel? What would that change look like? You know, like these questions that we ask each other in the rooms or like when we're doing step work. Yeah. You know, the things that like I ask myself in the deep, dark corners of my brain late at night, mm-hmm. but it's alcoholics coming together and verbalizing these thoughts that we think we're alone with. Mm-hmm. is where the magic happens because it turns out the things that we're thinking individually in our brain are actually pretty common amongst us. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember initially getting sober, I was so worried about keeping the shitty serving job I had at the time, you know, going into rehab like, oh God, what about my job? Mm-hmm. And like, I remember my counselor at the time just looking at me and being like, oh, yeah. A serving job in Chicago, there'll never be another one of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just kind of looked at her and I was like, oh, okay, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, why am I so worried? Fuck it. There's going to be another restaurant in Chicago. I can get another fucking job if they won't let me take time off for rehab, mm-hmm. which, you know, I found out legally they have to do. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of these, like, you know, you're just fucking scared, man. Yeah. I was terrified when I came into the rooms. Every time, I was terrified. You know, for the first time, I didn't know what it would look like. The second time, oh, God, they'll never have me back. Well, you know, it turns out they were actually pretty excited to see me. Mm-hmm. And then moving back here and then starting my life over again, knowing what I knew from my last two go-throughs of sobriety, I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. Like, let's actually do it this time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's a weird place to be in your sobriety. Like, the fires have been put out, you've started doing the rebuilding. Um, I found a lot of, like, pleasure in getting sidetracked in sobriety, as mm-hmm. far as, like, finding new hobbies. Yeah. That was one of the things I think that was hardest for me to figure out, what the fuck do I enjoy? Mm-hmm. Because if I wasn't getting drunk or getting laid while fucked up, I didn't really have an interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like the lizard parts of my brain were dictating all of my behavior. So like, oh, I found out, oh, I'm one of those crazy plant gays. Um, <laughs> well, you've been to my house. Yeah. It's, it's mildly out of control. Mm-hmm. And I say mildly, you know, with a tinge of yeah. grimace because I know it's <laughs> like a picture in mental illness right now. Yeah. Um, But it's something that brings me joy, and Mm -hmm. it's something I get to futz about around with, and it's something where, like, oh, like, God, if I were to get drunk, like, most of these plants would die. I know it sounds really stupid, 
mm-hmm. to be like a reason to like not drink. I mean, it's one of many reasons I have. But, yeah, but you know, when I have you know that half a second where I'm like, oh fuck, a drink sounds great. You know, I have all these things that flash through my head about like, mm-hmm. everything I'd be giving up. It's like yeah, my plants. Mm-hmm. Wow, my friend group. Wow, my living situation. The dog probably wouldn't get taken care of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's and it just floods in. Yeah. The moment that thought comes into my head, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, fuck that. Like, mm-hmm. But finding those alternatives, you know, I, I got a dog, and, like, I got the plants, and, um, you know, I, I tried sailing, I took up scuba diving, like, I um, I tried a lot of things that I wouldn't normally mm-hmm. try, um, and at first I would, would make excuses, like, I forever I wouldn't do the sailing thing, even though I always wanted to learn how to sail, because I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, God, it's, like, $500, mm-hmm. and I, I can't remember which one of my friends said it, but one of them said it, was like, oh, $500, how much did you used to spend on booze in a month? Yeah. I was like, well, fuck, more than $500. Okay, I take your point. Um, yeah. So it's like, yeah. No, I still spend money on stupid shit, but at least mm-hmm. I have something to show for it these days. Yeah. You know, I got the plants. I got the sailing certificate. Mm-hmm. I have my <laughs> patty certification, you know? Like, you know, all these things that I can come back to and actually use. It's not just pissed away at some bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a long process to kind of figure out, like, what does a productive happy life look like for me mm-hmm. and when I say productive I don't always mean professionally productive um, my my boyfriend that I'm, I'm seeing at the time now um, I remember when we first started dating I, he'd be like oh what'd you do today and I was like oh nothing productive and then I'd list off you know the things I did and he was like oh that sounds very productive to me and then like he had to kind of stop me at one point and be like do you have it in your head that like in order to be productive where in order for it to be work, it has to be something that you don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. I had never had that question posed to me before. And yeah, that was exactly how I was thinking about it. If it was something I enjoyed, it couldn't be productive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, like gardening is productive and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, working with other alcoholics is productive and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be work in order for it to be productive um, and kind of breaking down that wall and like kind of challenging some of the concepts I had pretty well established mm-hmm. still happens today in sobriety and it will I'm sure continue to happen for a long time what would you if you if you could like be in the room with like first time coming into the program Dan like what advice would you give him what advice? Mm-hmm. I'd say... Well, oh, God. You know, I've honestly never thought of that. You know, back then, I... felt so broken, and I felt the need to prove how broken I was to every person I interacted with in my life that I would go to the links up to killing myself in order to prove how broken I was. So, I think what I would tell myself coming into the room, you can be fixed. You're not actually broken. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it a lot. I think, like, the more... I've, I've had a mix on the podcast of like either like me talking about like my stuff and then like 
you know, like other like like alcoholics I've met through like the program or people with other like substance abuse problems or like people that have just like been in my life and like see that, you know, like kind of get the other side of it. And I just feel like the more like I feel like I mean like a, a lot of what you said are things I already knew, but like just like hearing, you know, somebody else's story like beginning to end and sort of like seeing like how you can how how you can move all past that. And and I think to your last point, I feel that way a lot where like without having that sad tragic broken personality i don't know what i have to offer like like i'm struggling and i'm still here and so that's why i'm interesting and so to be able to see like how to build how to build yourself and how to like build a life that's just like fine and that that's okay you know yeah and i i think you know i think part of it is just kind of the culture we're in everything's mm -hmm. got to be fucking kardashian or it doesn't count yeah. Um, and there's something to be said about being content with a quiet life. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel that there is enough space made for that. Um, there's not enough admiration for people that choose that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something where, like, it took me a long time in sobriety to discover that that is an option. I, it, I am allowed to just exist in my corner of the world in a way that makes me happy, in a way that I can enjoy myself, be there for the people that matter to me, and be of service and contribute to the people who are directly in my life, and that is enough. I am enough if I am doing that. Um, and I don't think we hear that nearly as much as we should. Yeah. Um, but thank you for inviting me to come here and do this today. Um, it's kind of funny because when you ask, I'm just like, oh, my story, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's old news. <laughs> um, and I guess it is to me. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I guess the thing that I, I you know, I'd want to leave you um, with today is that, you know, it's been a joy to work with you and see how you've grown over the short time we've known each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm very grateful that I met you and that you trusted me enough to work with you through these steps and um, I'm just so glad to see you doing well and to see you happy um, and I know you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to do great things for yourself, for your husband and for your wife. Thank you. Give me a hug. Okay. We'll hug it off, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I saw your arms wide open And I wanted you to hold me now We'll be dancing with the lights on Because it's getting better